When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Today, we take another step on the leadership journey with our co-host, Brian Kite. Brian, we are flying through the season now. We're at the midpoint, and teams are starting to settle in. I know this is a time as coaches we can get focused on certain things and players can get certain focused on thir- certain things, and a lot of that really is the ball part of this, right? The, the game planning, what we need to do in practice, um, how we're getting better at our techniques or our schemes. And we like to, in doing that as coaches, we always talk about focusing on the positive sides of things and always be focused on here's what we do, here's what we do, here's what we do. We're going to take a contrast to that today and and focus on behavior and get into some of the things that you like to call win by don't. This is a pivotal week. I've been caught up in the drama of the Cleveland Browns season again. I always get hooked into this, Brian, no matter how hard I try not to. Uh, it, it is really like a soap opera sometimes. And so we've lost two games, essentially, on what boils down to some kicks. And I know certainly, as, as our kicker was running onto the field, there was no coach out there telling him, don't miss this kick, right? We get focused on the positives of it, you know, give him some key things that he can stay positive and focus and put it through the uprights. Well, long story short, we have another kicker now. But as we look at our season and get into those things and, and remembering that it can't just be about ball right now, there's going to be other things that keep the season from getting stagnant, keep us from maybe going into a slump. And all that really is based on behaviors. It is. Simply stated, uh, behavior runs everything. It, it, people forget that. They forget it in business uh, just as much as they forget it in sports, just as much as we forget it in families. And obviously, all of you guys know that I pay attention to all of those things. Behavior runs everything. In a competitive and technical environment like football, uh, a bit repetitive on here talking with you about this, but it's worth mentioning frankly, every single time we talk, that if you're so dialed into the ball, it's just so easy to stop paying attention to the behaviors that run everything. And practically speaking, I was thinking about this. You're on Instagram, right? I am. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on Instagram. And one of the cool things about today's world is that we have access to 
from a sports perspective, we have access to players in terms of seeing their lives and they choose to share things on their lives through Instagram as a big channel in ways that they never really have. And I, I saw a picture of some college players or, or a few feeds from some college players of them, posts of them hanging out with their girlfriend, them coming back from class, of them hanging out in a dorm room, just doing a few different things. And it hit me as I was seeing these posts and I kind of took myself back to college. Now as an adult, it's easy for me to look at a college player and say, hey, you need to focus. You be, be all about ball. And you see plenty of people doing that, right? All these all these Twitter jockeys and all these people who you know tell everybody what to do and I have no interest in that. It's easy as an adult to forget about all of the things affecting and influencing a young person's behavior. Not their football, their behavior, their attitude, their mood, their self-confidence, their self-worth, their self-esteem, their self-belief, their self-discipline, their self-awareness, the things pulling at them, the people who are chirping in their ear. I just saw the UCLA quarterback's dad going on to Twitter, and he is making comments about Chip Kelly out of UCLA, who I think is 0-2 or 0-3 right now, trying to figure out how to get that team up and running in his first season. And I was thinking to myself, what is that kid, and I don't know him or his dad, what is that kid dealing with? When he's trying to go out and practice every day, interact with his teammates, get coached, what is he dealing with when he goes home and interacts with his dad? Does he agree with his dad? Does he disagree with his dad? If he does disagree with his dad, do, are he and his dad now in a fight because he told his dad, hey, stop doing that? Is, does, he, does he not disagree with his dad directly because he doesn't want to hurt his dad's feeling, and so he puts up with his dad and makes his dad feel like he agrees, but he quietly and secretly doesn't because he just lacks the confidence or the know-how? to, you know, go face to face with your dad because you think he's doing something poor? Or is his dad actually convincing him that Chip Kelly and the guys there are bad coaches and he shouldn't do what he's being coached on? None of those things are ball. All of those things affect every single aspect of how that guy approaches games, approaches his teammates, leads within the locker room, feels when he takes a snap, reacts to a touchdown, reacts to an interception, reacts to not converting a third and five on a simple out, all of those things affect it. And in season, one of the downsides happening right now with coaches, I'm going to pause here and just maybe let you pick up on, uh, on this part. One of the downsides that I see of this grinding mentality, and you know my perspective on grinding, the yes. word grinding is dead. You know, if, you're, if, you're, if you're not a grinder now, you know, you're not even in a game, and it doesn't make you any better of a coach to be a grinder because that's what everybody does. But in the midst of this grinder attitude among coaches – is we tend not to grind on the behavior side, on the empathy side, on the where are you side, on the let me slow down and create some time for how we're feeling and the trust that we have with each other so we can go out and do what we want. And these behavioral signals that we get from players are so light sometimes. They're so hard to see sometimes that the speed and intensity with which we are going after ball and for a bunch of you, your job and ball, it can make behavior fade to the background. And now one of the primary engines driving the success or failure of your team, execution or sloppiness, wins and losses, one of the primary drivers, which is behavior, is fading to something that we pay lip service and quotes or quick speeches at the end of a practice. And that, that's why I wanted to use this time today to talk about and lay out some things within behavior to watch for that are simple, very systematic, and you can do in season to help make everybody a better coach because 
things move fast and we can't make them move slower. We can just get better at the things that matter and are the drivers of success and failure. And there's arguably nothing bigger than behavior to the success or failure of a football team. Brian, I couldn't agree with you more, especially thinking about that grinder mentality. And I mean, self-admittedly, I've been there at points in my career where to me it seemed to be the answer to everything was, okay, we're going to get better. Our performance on the field, I'm going to make these guys the best that we can. I'm going to identify some of the errors we're making. I'm going to come up with drills to fix those things. The core of it, we, we aren't attacking maybe some of those behaviors, some of those beliefs, some of the other things that are behind it and are going to ultimately get in the way of us having that performance that they are tied together. I always hear coaches talk about culture over strategy. I mean, I'm of the place where I think they exist together, that you need them together. You can't have one without the other. You can't just be all culture and behaviors and beliefs and and then on the other hand, not have the performance and you can't have just performance and experts at technique and all those kinds of things without having the beliefs and the behaviors that are going to support that, especially in a game as dynamic and as chaotic as football, where the ball is going to take the wrong bouts. The, the, the weather's going to be something that you weren't expecting. An official's going to make a bad call. There's going to be an injury. All those things that are out of our control we're not playing this game in a vacuum, so we just can't put it on one or the other. We have to find this balance of the two. And I think this is a time of the year where I think you see both things. You, you see a team maybe struggling on the performance side of things and coaches thinking that the, the answer is culture, 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 and, and vice versa. You see coaches on the other side of things that think it's just you know, performance and practice some harder and we're going to watch more film and we're going to do all these things, we have to kind of, I think, find that balance between the two. We do. And what I would tell everybody listening, if you, if you don't already know this from, from at least what we teach, execution is the intersection of culture and strategy. That when you, when you look at how a team executes, there's, there's two primary components, your culture and your strategy. Your strategy is what you want to do. Your culture is going to be how you do it. And what, what we're talking about here, and, and again, for those of you, reminder, and for those of you who don't know, the purpose of culture is to drive execution that wins. Specifically, culture's job is to drive winning behavior, not make people really good winning, as in like W's. I mean, it's, it's culture's job is to drive the behaviors that win. And the behaviors that win are, are a whole myriad. It could be intensity, toughness, focus, attitude, belief, all, all kinds of things that are winning behaviors that are different for each one. Shrugging off a loss and not letting it stay with you, like a DB who gets beat for a touchdown. If that person gets in their head and goes out on the field moping for the next, for the next series, that's behavior that doesn't win. Right? The most important play in football is this play. The next most important play is the one after that. So when I say execution is the intersection of culture and strategy, what we're talking about here is in season, we tend to focus a lot on, and let me go right to you on this about your experience as a coach and what you talk to coaches, probably not usually on the, on the podcast, but the, the private conversations you have with coaches. As a coach, so much time is spent on in season is spent on the strategy part of execution. But when you get home from practice, 
and you're around the dinner table or you're drifting away mentally when you're at home and just sitting on the couch or when you have a night before a game, how much of your thought goes to the behavior of certain players and what are they going to do when the moment arrives? And I wonder how this person will show up and I wonder if their preparation has been really good this week or if they're not really feeling it. How often as a coach did you find yourself thinking and frankly even sometimes worrying about behavior and that was the biggest gap of execution on your team, not your play design. Yeah, I think those do become your worries. It's it's not, is this scheme going to work? It's, is this guy going to take care of it? And yeah, some of those things come in about the behaviors behind it. You know the individual. And I think, as we're talking about this, Brian, that that's kind of the art of this whole coaching deal is that we have to understand that sometimes part of our practice plan, and it could come out in practice, it could come out in meetings, whatever it is, that we're also cultivating those behaviors, those beliefs in that player so that on game day, he's not going to default behaviors when things get chaotic, when things don't go as expected, etc. You know what we want to do for coaches, the value we want to provide is we want to provide simple systems for leadership, culture, and behavior that wins. That's the emphasis here today is let's make sure that we are paying attention to behavior and what behavior comes down to simplify it for your team. First, simplify it for yourself in your own life as a coach and just as a, as a person. And then bring, after you've investigated and brought self-awareness to yourself, then bring it to players and, and break behavior down into three simple things. Simplify it for everyone. Behavior is three. It's what you do, what you don't do, and it's how you do it. And let me just describe those real quick. What you do are, are the things that you're putting out into the world. Okay? Literally, the, the, the stuff that you're going to go do, it's the path you're going to take. It's the attitudes you have. It's the actions you engage in. It's the words that you say. What you don't do are the things that you avoid because you don't think they're going to win, you don't think they're good for your life, or it's simply not something you want involved in your particular atmosphere or your situation. It's the attitudes you refuse to have. It's the actions you resist, and it's the words you reject to come out of your mouth or, or be inside your program. And how you do it is your situational judgment and style and skill. For example, Keith, you and I could both choose to do the same things and not do the same things, but how you and I go about it might be different. You and I both might say we want to build relationships and connect with people. We don't want to potentially you know, hurt people's feelings unnecessarily. We don't want to waste our time, and we don't want to do work that uh, is, is unenjoyable. But how we go about that from a style perspective and a skill perspective might be very different. You might want to connect with people by listening. I might want to connect with people by sharing. So there's not one how. There's a thousand hows, 10,000, 100,000 hows. But what you, want to re what you want to come back to is for your players and for you, are you exceptionally clear in season? These, these are the things we have to do behaviorally. I'm not talking about blocking. I'm not talking about just watching film. Sure watching film is important, but I'm talking about what do you have to do? You have to choose the attitude and emotion you show up to every practice and every drill with. 
you have to choose that. If you don't do that, then you're going to be susceptible to going through a drill or a practice with some emotion that you didn't decide on beforehand, and it might be an autopilot one. And now your how is going to be affected because you're not even doing the things that are necessary, and what you're choosing not to do is harming you, and now the how isn't re even really helping. You're trying to work really hard, but you've got an angry attitude when in reality what you need to have is an attitude of enjoyment and loving the process and the journey. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. It's something I see all the time. And I think I remember, I can't remember exactly where this happened. And I think I may have then utilized this and, and done it myself after seeing it. But you have those situations. Sometimes it, it usually starts to bring itself out maybe in one of those weeks where you just know the, the, opponent, the opponent at the end of the week is not your test. Your test literally is, are you going to do the right things during the week and then go out and execute correctly on game day? Because they're not going to provide that challenge for you. They don't have that arousal for you that it's going to be, oh man, we really need to get up for this game. And I remember the team kind of coming onto the field, half-assing it for lack of better words, and our head coach just kicking everybody off the field. Coaches, players alike, resetting the, the mental framework and getting everybody back on the right mindset with the right behaviors, doing things the right way rather than coasting and walking through practice. And that has, you know, again, nothing to do with the, the schemes or the drills or anything. It was kind of the all the, the mindset and belief behaviors around that that we brought out onto the field. And it, it was effective. I think it's something as coaches you need to, to look at that. I wouldn't go 45 minutes into a practice and do that, but I think you can identify some of those things right away. Are you approaching things the right way? So, yeah, I, I, I see that, and I think there's ways we can handle that as coaches and techniques we can use. And you mentioned something when we started. Uh, you said the phrase win by don't. Mm -hmm. And what you're referring to when you say that is something I, I believe in. That we, we talked about, I believe in football and in life, success begins with the things you choose not to do. I think that's where it starts. Here's why I, I believe in that. Because I believe too often people worry about making mistakes, but they worry about making the wrong mistakes. Mm -hmm. We get it flipped. People worry about making small mistakes when in reality, you ought to make a ton of those. What we need to, what we need to focus on is don't do anything that could cost you everything, right? Correct. Football and life. Don't do anything that could cost you everything. And then the second is don't do anything that has way more downside than upside. Don't do anything that has a big balance to it. It's too much risk because it, it doesn't have a payoff that is a big upside. And let me give five. And we talk about these a lot with teams. Let me give these five. Some, some, some of you listening have heard these, and I bet there's some of you who have installed these in your teams, but most of you have not. There are five don'ts, not five do's, five don'ts for a football team or any team for that matter, that in, in, in our observation and, and our team has come up with these, there's five things that you want to avoid. And in a 10 or 12 game season, uh, our observation is we've asked coaches and players and just watched ourselves. We believe that there are in a 10 to 12 game season, there's two and a half games that will swing for a win or loss 
just based on not doing these five things, meaning this. If you can go the whole season and not do any of these five, that's, that's good for two and a half wins. But if you go through this season and you do one or more of these, chances are the loss tally is going to have somewhere between two and three losses more in it than if you were able to avoid the five. So here are the five. Number one, don't do anything that could take away from practice or playing time. And these apply to coaches and players. Don't do anything that could take away from practice or playing time. How many players are unprepared for a game because they did something during the week or during the offseason that cut into their practice or playing time and they find themselves not as good as they wanted to be because they couldn't have enough uh, reps in practice or because, you know, by the time they were playing in game three or four, because they were suspended for the first three or four games or academically ineligible or something else. How often does that happen? All the time. Yep. It's well, almost all of a sudden in week five. It's almost the cliche. Team just doesn't have one of, you know, the team just doesn't have one of their best players. So the first thing is if the option is in front of you to do something and the thing you're considering doing has the potential to take away from practice or playing time, if somebody sees it or knows about it or finds out or did something, the answer is always don't do that. It doesn't matter what you feel in the moment. It doesn't matter what is going on. And this even goes for coaches, you know, whether it's coaches on social media, whether it's coaches interactions with parents, whether it's coaches interaction with administration or sideline or officials or the press. It doesn't matter how emotionally riled up you are or how right you think you are. If you're not on the field and you're not there in the game, you can't help the team. So that comment you want to make to somebody and that thing you want to do to somebody else or whatever it happens to be, just don't do it. Be tough because you're not helping anybody from the sideline or sitting back at home. So first, don't do anything to take away from practice or playing time. Second thing, do not lie to coaches, colleagues, or players. For players, is don't lie to coaches or teammates. And for coaches, it's don't lie to your coaches and don't lie to your players. Don't lie to them. Don't tell them untruth. Don't hide reality. I mean, how many coaches get into, I, I, I really want to dial into coaches, but I also want to really dial into players too. How many coaches go out with game plans that they're not confident in because they were just unwilling to have a conversation with one of the other coaches about what was going on? Oh, it happens all the time. I can, can think of a, a time in my career, and I won't mention the, the time or the place, uh, so it, it doesn't maybe embarrass an individual, but... You know, I had a particular line coach who had a misunderstanding of the protection and was utilizing something that he had done in a previous program, and it was causing all kinds of problems for our quarterbacks with their vision, with them um, being confident in the pocket, and it was me seeing it again and again and again on film and making the connection that we're coaching this wrong, and when it was coming up in the meetings, it was kind of, I think he was, he was a younger coach. He was embarrassed that he got that one wrong. And instead of saying, yeah, I I got it wrong. You know, we need to get it fixed. We went weeks before that came out. And you think you're, you're trying to do well, you're protecting yourself or maybe your players, whatever it might be. But ultimately you have to have the truth come out and what's going on. And, and I've seen it with off the field behavior too. a coach, hears of something that one of his players did. He doesn't want to lose that guy. And maybe later in the week, it comes up. And if you knew about it on a Monday, you might have been getting a player ready for Friday. But now it's Wednesday, and finally the truth comes out, 
and now you're in a bind. You've lost practice time for that next guy. Yep. And that's just what happens. I mean, it, 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 it's so common. Uh, it's so unfortunate. And, and I say it really simply, lying or avoiding the truth, it's too expensive and it's too inefficient. It just, it just is. It, it's too expensive and it's too inefficient to not tell the truth. So you just own it and go. And from a, from a coach's perspective and from a player's perspective, understand this. Coaches, talk to your players about this and talk to yourself and your staff about this. There is nowhere else to hide anymore. In the past, lying was something that, while it has never worked, it was a lot easier to get away with stuff in the past, however far back you want to go. In today's world, there is no hiding. It might not come out right now, but it will. It all comes out. So you might as well just say, look, I'm just not going to do that. I'm just going to tell it like it is. I'm going to tell the truth, even when you make mistakes. So number one, don't do anything to take away from practice or playing time. Number two, don't lie to teammates, to coaches, to colleagues. Number three, don't be CD. Don't blame, don't complain, don't be defensive. And most of you have heard that one from me a lot and before, and it is a lifelong attack. Just don't do it. Go nuclear on that in your life. Go nuclear on that in your program. It doesn't mean you have to be a hard ass. Keep your style, but there just won't be any blaming. There won't be any complaining, and there won't be any defensiveness. I was talking with a coach the other day, and he was talking about being tough and other stuff. And, and, I, and I just say this. like If all you can do is complain, there's really two things that that indicates. Number one, it indicates you're weak and you can't solve your problems. And number two, it means you're soft. It just does. If you complain, you're soft. You can be a good person. That's cool. But if you complain, you're just soft. You're just not tough. Tough people don't complain. They either go fix it, they go make it better and improve it as much as they can, or they say, I can't do anything about it, and they just go attack whatever is next. They don't, they don't waste time complaining. So don't be CD. Number four, don't violate our culture. That assumes that you know what your culture is and that everybody knows what it is and that the, clear, the lines are very clearly drawn, but don't violate our culture. Whatever your standards are, don't violate that. You can do all kinds of other stuff. You just can't violate our culture. If we got four rules, just don't violate any of those. You can all have all kinds of room for personality, all kinds of room for style within the context of our culture. Just don't do that. Let me give a simple example. Randy Moss, people had problems with him throughout his career. And guess where he didn't have problems? It was the one, what was the one program he never had a problem? And it's almost the one place hardly anybody has problems from a culture perspective and a behavior perspective. What program in the NFL? That's the New England Patriots. Because guess what the rule is? It's New England Patriots. You can do whatever you want, be whoever you want, act however you want, as long as what? It's within the do boundaries you, of how we do it. Right. Do your job. That's it. That's it. And so Randy Moss had all this personality, and he showed all of the personality, and he was still all of him. And I think, my personal observation is, he was the best version of him, also I think the stats reflect that, when he was at the Patriots. And he still had all the personality, and he wasn't hardly anything like the workman-like Patriots that you see from other guys, the Troy Browns and these other guys of the world. But then you see these other guys who think their way and their behavior gets to supersede everything about the program because their behavior is the most important thing. It's not. And that's part of going back to being maniacal, being intolerant, and being loving. That's why we have to be that within our culture because we have to get the alignment and then create space for people to be themselves within it. So just don't violate our culture. That's it. I'm not going to tell you what to do 
a ton on a thousand things, but here's four things we have to do and you're not allowed to do the alternative. You just have to, you just have to avoid doing these, you know, four or five things that, that are, are outside the lines of our culture. And then number five, big one for young people, especially don't get involved with the wrong people. Could be a girl, could be a guy, could be a group, could be a family member. Don't get involved with the wrong people. When you get involved with the wrong people, behavior starts to shift. Focus goes away. Emotions start coming in. All kinds of different things start getting affected. So just don't get involved with the wrong people. Have less friends. Talk to people less. Shut yourself off. Do whatever it is that you have to do. So those are five don'ts. And I'll just go through the five real quick. Number one, don't do anything to take away from practice or playing time. Number two, don't lie to your team, your coaches, your colleagues. Number three, don't blame, complain, defend. No BCD. Number four, don't violate our culture. Number five, don't get involved with the wrong people. And so I asked Keith, how many games in a 10 to 12 game season are going to be lost because somebody on the team, player or coach, did one or more of those five things? I, I think the number you threw out there is, is right. Just as you've gone through those, I thought about some of those seasons where where we had those situations where there were some things that popped up on your list of five things to avoid that we somewhere in the program, whether it was a teammate or a group of, of guys or even a coach, that some of those things came up and it did cost us those two to three wins that particular season. And you see all kinds of versions of it. And you notice, you know, those are not, those aren't situationally particular, meaning don't lie to teammates or coaches. That has so many realms where it could play. I can remember a couple specifically where a player got a girl pregnant, never told anybody on his team, no coaches, no staff, nobody. And then the kid was born and they still told nobody. And now here's this player carrying the weight of the world on him. And he never told anybody and everybody asked him, hey, are you okay? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. And he lied. And my heart goes out because that's a hard situation, but nonetheless, he lied. And so what happened was coaches were treating him like he was any other player, but the truth was he wasn't any other player. He was a young man who wasn't ready to be a dad, and he was now a dad. Mm -hmm. And he didn't have help, and he didn't understand what was going on, and throwing interceptions or avoiding fumbles wasn't as important to him because his mind and his heart was in another place. He was terrified. And so he, you know, the performance wasn't where they wanted it to be. And, and so the, you know, the situations are, you know, there's, there's thousands of situations, but those are five great rules. Stay on, and you look at what happens, right? What's on the other side of those? At some point, you could almost do anything you want instead of those five, and it doesn't matter much. If you're on the field and, you, and, and you're not being held back from the field, you've got the opportunity to go practice a ton of ways. And you may not be good at football, but you're there and you're trying to get better. Great. If you're, if you're telling the truth, it might not be comfortable and it might be hard, but at least you're dealing with reality, right? You can decide who to tell. You can decide who to share the, the, the personal and private information with. You can decide the ways in which you want to share the truth directly or indirectly or, you know, feedback, uh, intervention, all kinds of things. You can decide what to do instead of BCD, of which there are thousands of options. You can do all kinds of things that allow you to be you within the structure of the culture of your team. And there's tons of people to be involved with and tons of great people in the world who aren't a negative toxic source of energy for you, no matter who they are and how close they are to you in your life. 
So the options of things to do instead of those five are so many that I don't even like to start with, here's the people you need to be with, and here's the exact culture you need to have, and here's exactly how to be the problem solver, and here's how to go out and tell the truth about everything all the time, and here's exactly how to practice, because I don't know all the answers to those. But here's what I do know. If you do those five things, you're not even going to have a shot. You're not even going to be in the arena. You're not even going to be on the scale of being able to compete where you want to compete. Success begins with giving yourself a chance. Why would you go be like all these other programs? Why would you be like these other people? Why would you choose to allow something to stay in your life, in your behavior, or in your program that has the potential to cost you everything or cost you the things that matter most to you? And that transfers outside of football, even into life. There's just things that they just don't work. They just don't. BCD, that works for life. It doesn't matter what the situation is. Don't complain about it. I don't care how unfair it is. I don't care how unjust it is. Complaining doesn't fix it. Get excited, get energized, coach, bring awareness. Just don't complain. Say, here is my reality. It sucks. Here's what I'm doing about it. That's, that is least that, that has integrity and courage behind it. Complaining has no integrity. Complaining has no courage. Being a voice and, 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 and tough and shining light on a difficult situation and, and handling it with, a backbone and a big heart, that is integrity. That is courage. It's not integrity and courage to complain in traffic and blame that person who cut you off. That's a soft play. That's soft. And there's all kinds of coaches listening right now who think they're tough and they get broken by traffic every day because some stranger drove in a way they didn't like. And they act tough and they can't even handle some neutral environment of somebody driving in a way differently than they would prefer. And it transfers from the road to the marriage, to the relationship, to how you deal with your colleagues, to how you coach players. Because then, then a bad call comes from a ref and the same brain and pattern that you've built complaining about traffic comes to you complaining about a call and your players are watching you and they're saying, oh, he complains. Oh, he gets to get all emotional and lose his mind over a call. He must not be as tough as I think he is. You're, you're kidding yourself if you think players don't say that to themselves. You're kidding yourself. I get, worked, I get, I get fired up over this because I see this a lot, Keith. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of people claiming something, and then they don't live it. They want their players to be a certain thing, and then they can't be that themselves. We ask so much of players, so much of players. Make sure you're asking it of yourself as well. Brian, some great ideas. I love the idea of win by don't in those five things. I think it's something, especially right now, again, approaching the midpoint that we can really reinforce with our teams or introduce if for some reason we didn't at the beginning. I think they're applicable now. I think those are things that kind of fall into that micro kind of rather than macro changes that we're going to bring these up or reinforce these things at this time of the season. So I appreciate you sharing those on this week's step in the leadership journey and i look forward to our conversation next week absolutely great time absolutely introduce this stuff to your players because there is still time to avoid those things from this point forward in the season and there are wins or losses to be gained based on how well we do this from this point going forward